Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Support for this episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. The 2020 MIPS Manual is out now on Amazon, and it's a great resource for practice administrators and clinicians who need to keep up with the changing healthcare laws. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Today, we're talking with Erin Benson, the Senior Market and Product Strategist at LexisNexis Risk Solutions, which is an organization dedicated to bringing together data sets for the healthcare industry. We learned so much in our conversation with Erin, and think you will too. So let's get started. Erin, thank you for joining us today. You know, we liken healthcare to a thousand piece puzzle and you know everybody has a piece of that puzzle and usually knows it pretty darn well can you share with us and our listeners your piece of the healthcare puzzle and you know your journey and how you got started and where you are now yeah absolutely well thank you so much for having me here i'm very excited to be able to talk with you both today so my piece of the healthcare puzzle Currently, I'm working as a Senior Director of Market Planning at LexisNexis Risk Solutions in our healthcare division. So we are really using big data and analytics to help healthcare organizations to combat some of the most common problems they're seeing today around cybersecurity and fraud, as well as helping to improve patient engagement efforts and to help really connect with patients around social determinants of health, as well as just making sure that you can connect with them in general. So it's using big data and introducing that into the healthcare world, which is a really exciting time to be part of healthcare and helping kind of move into the next generation of where I think healthcare is headed. For me and in, in my background, I actually didn't start in healthcare. I started in consulting. So I was a human capital consultant at Deloitte for about five years And I really focused on understanding what drives behavior so that I could help organizations to drive change. So from both my education prior to Deloitte and then at Deloitte, what I learned is that efforts to cause change fail most often when the focus is not on helping people change. And I see this a lot in healthcare organizations too. We focus a lot on infrastructure changes, on system changes, on incentive program changes, process changes. And yet, sometimes we forget about the fact that in order for a change to actually happen, people have to embrace it. 
So having my background be from a human capital perspective, I'm really interested in what motivates people towards certain behaviors. And I've seen that play out a lot in the healthcare space and in the work that we do. So some of the questions that I like to help healthcare organizations answer are things like, if we all know that what the doctor or the care manager is telling us to do is going to improve our health, why is it that patients don't always do it? And the answer is really around social determinants of health, which is the key area where I focus. So a story I like to tell is I had a friend and she was a runner and she hurt her foot and the doctor told her to go to physical therapy so that she could avoid surgery. And she didn't go. And it wasn't because she didn't want her foot to get better. But what it turned out to be is she had just bought a new house and she couldn't afford both the mortgage payments and the unexpected cost of physical therapy. And so she tried to do some at-home exercises and things like that, but ultimately ended up needing surgery. And it was unfortunate, but it's one of those things where it's not that she didn't want to follow the doctor's recommendation. She just couldn't afford to. And so we try to help organizations really look at holistically at individuals in order to help them overcome the barriers that's going to prevent them from being able to follow those care recommendations so that they can have the best possible outcomes. So I've seen my background, you know, and understanding kind of what motivates behavior tie really well into where we're trying to head as a healthcare industry and helping healthcare organizations figure out how they can help their patients in doing the right behavior so that they see those optimum outcomes. So I have a question and uh, this is coming from my first job really out of university was working for the school newspaper, right? university newspaper. And one of the things like as an on the editorial team that we did was to log into LexisNexis at, back at the time. And, and it was like LexisNexis was a database that had news information and data that basically wasn't available to the general public. Like we had special permission to get access to this information. I remember being really, really impressed by it. But honestly, that was like probably that was close to 20 years ago. So when somebody is engaging with LexisNexis, what is it like? What is their experience like? And what kind of information or it seems like there's a lot of power in the data. So can you kind of walk us through what that engagement is like for, for folks? Absolutely. Um, and I use the same, the same database as you were talking about when I was at university as well. So those particular sources that support universities and also legal professionals is part of our sister companies services, which they're called LexisNexis Legal and Professional. And we used to be one company and then we split, I think it was five or six years ago now, and so now we are legal, or sorry, we are LexisNexis Risk Solutions. So we are focused on using similar data assets, but to support businesses as they're trying to control risk. So specifically healthcare organizations, we make a lot of that similar data available, but we're making it available in order to help to combat specific risks within healthcare. And then we also have data assets around provider data and around de-identified claims data. And so we bring all of that together to help our healthcare organizations to combat risk. And really what we're aiming to do is build healthier communities and to really get integrated into the workflows in order to help our customers have the data at the point of need where they need it in order to make their processes more efficient, which ultimately helps to improve health outcomes for the different patients that they serve or the members that they serve. We work across 
health plans, providers, um, with hospital systems. We work with pharmacies and we also work with uh, life sciences companies around pharmaceutical and biomedical, as well as a lot of the major labs. So we found in all those different areas, we can help to help them cut costs as, by being more efficient and then also to improve the quality of the care that they're giving to patients by helping them zero in on the areas where patients really need the most support. You know, Erin, you touched on something earlier about helping people change. Can you share with us in helping drive that change? Is there a common denominator either, you know, that you're able to find as a point of leverage in facilitating that change with LexisNexis in your role? Yeah, so I think that in order to best help individuals with change, it's a lot of times identifying what situation is creating barriers for them to change. So we specifically focus around social determinants of health for individuals, which can be a multitude of different categories. It may be that their economic situation is preventing them from being able to follow medical recommendations. It might be that the neighborhood where they live isn't safe. And so, you know, they can't get out and exercise regularly like they'd want to. It could be that they don't have the social and community support system that's needed in order to get access to their medications or, you know, get rides to follow-up appointments. Or it could be their educational background just doesn't match with the way that information is being provided to them and they might need some additional consultation and support. And so we have different data assets from public and proprietary records that we're able to use and clinically validate against healthcare outcomes. And then really what we do with that is create prediction scores that help our customers zero in on the greatest barriers that their patients are facing. And so we might you know, indicate where there's a transportation access issue so that they could help them get a ride to their next appointment or help them to identify where they might need some additional social support if they don't have family around. And so those are some of the key ways that really we're helping to help individuals to change because in a lot of cases they do want, you know, the best health outcomes for themselves. It's just that they've got a lot of competing priorities and there's other barriers that might be preventing them. And so we see helping the healthcare organizations to remove those barriers for patients as a key way that we can help to contribute to value-based care in the industry. I think other ways, you know, we talk about social determinants of health and that's certainly creating a lot of the barriers. But another example is on the cybersecurity side. So there's been studies that have shown that patients who have access and play a bigger role in their own healthcare actually have better health outcomes. And so there's been a big push from the government and others to really make that data available to patients. But at the same time, you want to protect the patients and their data from identity theft and fraud. And so we're seeing this need for organizations to find a balance between putting the right security measures in place to protect the data, but also making it as easy as possible for the patients to get into their accounts and get access to their data so they can play that role in their own healthcare. And the interesting thing is it becomes down to really a human behavior problem, which is how do you strike that right balance where you're not frustrating the patient as they're going through the process and they feel like, you know, they've answered so many personal questions about themselves or there's just been so much friction in the process that they just give up halfway through trying to log into their account. But at the same time, you don't want to put nothing there because you don't want the fraudsters to gain access. And so we help organizations to find that balance around multi-factor authentication to make sure it really is the right person logging in but we put as many low friction options up front as possible so that the real individuals can get through quickly 
and they don't give up during the process, but then the fraudsters feel that friction and that pain and they don't make it all the way through. So we can actually take aspects of human behavior and use that to tailor some of the products to best meet the patient's needs as well as the healthcare organization's needs. So just a detailed question, the folks that are interfacing with your systems, is it mostly the healthcare organizations or patients themselves? So usually the patients are interfacing with the healthcare organization systems and then our solutions will plug into those systems. So they might see like a knowledge-based authentication quiz pop up and to the user, they're going to see that on the healthcare organization's website, but it's being powered by our data and our insights behind the scenes. So we're really working with the healthcare organizations to make it as seamless into their systems as possible. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt, but we wanted to let you know about a way you can support Hit Like a Girl podcast directly. We've partnered with patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E, on.com is a way for us to connect with our listeners and fans in a direct way and ask them to support us so we can continue creating more great content like this episode you're listening to. Patreon.com is not so much of a one-time contribution, but more like a subscription to provide support to independent creators like us. Patrons who pledge even just $2 a month give us the stability we need to continue producing podcast episodes. In return for your patronage, we're offering virtual high fives, personalized thank you notes, and even shout outs on our episodes. When you become a patron of Hit Like a Girl podcast, you're supporting our channel directly, so we won't be making podcast episodes for some viral audience or for ads. We're making them for you, our listeners. This allows us to focus on topics related to women, healthcare, and technology. With your support on patreon.com, we're able to spend that time having meaningful conversations and doing more great work that can positively impact the lives of other women in healthcare and tech. So join us on Patreon.com and let's make something amazing together. All right, so let's transition to our next question. We'd like to introduce a little bit of magical thinking into our conversations. And we like to ask each guest, basically, and this is kind of varied in the ways that, you know, you can choose your weapon of peace because it's, you know, genie in a bottle, having a magic wand, being able to snap your fingers. But essentially, if you could get rid of any of the barriers of any challenge or obstacle within healthcare or health IT, likely something that you face on a regular basis, what problem would you solve and why? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's obviously a lot of different problems that could be solved, but where I tend to focus is on the fact that we are shifting to value-based care. And I think that's the right move as an industry and what's going to be best for the U.S. population. And so when I think about the barriers that we want to remove, the key barrier for me is really a culture change. We need to think about patients holistically and all of the things that are happening in their life, not just what their specific medical care needs. So, you know, as I've mentioned with social determinants of health, I think that is what's really going to help to elevate our ability to provide quality care to patients as we move forward. It's something that internationally other countries have really done and it has improved their health outcomes. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to see the U.S. embracing it. But I think that's the direction that we need to continue in in order to really achieve the best community health that we can possibly achieve. And so it's not so much removing a problem as it is just broadening the view of what it takes in order to take care of a patient. And that is going to take collaboration between healthcare organizations as well as community resources and the patients themselves to make sure that 
we are addressing holistically what they need in order to have those healthy outcomes. You know, that's the area, value-based care, that Robin and I really dive into. And it's been, this is such an interesting time because, well, for one, we definitely get to see more social determinants and, you know, how folks that are dealing with COVID are being, or exposed to it, et cetera, like people with underlying conditions or have things that are affecting their health in this broader sense of the term. But on the regu- in the regulatory side, she and I deal with the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System or MIPS, which is basically for ambulatory doctors, like how they actually you know, take the steps to get through to value-based care. And there's been conversation around with around COVID in particular is like, okay, well, is MIPS going to go away? Are we going to like take steps back from, from this, you know, conversation? And it looks like the government is trying to find ways to actually include it in ways that they can. So instead of, you know, backing away from value-based care, kind of finding ways to have this pandemic essentially, hopefully turbo, like quicken our efforts to getting on that side a value-based care, like hopefully it'll be included and not being pushed away. But one thing that we deal with too is is a lot about what you've been talking about, which is like this resistance of, you know, changing behavior and going from one system to another. And so I think that with like the data and everything that we're getting at this moment in time, hopefully we can quicken that transition because it really is quite a transformation. And Robin, I heard you wanting to say something, so I'll let you jump in. Yeah, I think I'm just curious, you know, when we think about that collaborative aspect of everything going on right now, is there anything that LexisNexis is doing that's maybe a little bit outside the box, especially in, you know, the middle of the pandemic or in thinking about kind of what that new normal will be for everyone and how you're working, whether it's internally for your team or your customers. Is there any collaboration that you all are doing right now that you see as being, you know, a catalyst to improve change or that cultural shift in the future? Yeah, so lots to unpack there, but I agree with everything you're saying. I think, you know, what's been interesting about the COVID-19 is that in some ways it's become kind of a great equalizer around social determinants. So before we would focus a lot on, you know, does a person have transportation to get to an appointment or to get to a pharmacy? And with social distancing, everyone's being encouraged to stay home. And so we're seeing a lot of the pharmacies step up to meet that need and they're doing delivery for everyone regardless of social condition because we're all kind of in that same boat now. But certainly there are those that are facing increased challenges around economic issues and housing stability. And, you know, I'm seeing governments and community services and landlords and everyone stepping up to help, which is so powerful to see how we come together. But there's still a very great need around that. And so one of the things that we have done is to use a lot of our data assets to put together a um, COVID-19 resource data center, which is now available on our website for different community health, public health officials and others to go out and look at. And really what it is, is a heat map that shows where there's some increased risk. And one of the factors we did look at was some of the socioeconomic factors where if a county was to be highly impacted by COVID-19, there would be some additional challenges that they would need to overcome from a socio perspective. So really our goal is to help identify where resources need to be sent. But longer term, what we're starting to look at is 
there will eventually be an end to COVID-19. And unfortunately, what has happened during this time is that a lot of different individuals have had to put off some of their preventative screenings and you know, some of the, the care that they would normally be receiving because they're not wanting to go into the medical facilities right now. And so I think that's what you're seeing the government talking about when they're trying to consider how are they going to measure the value-based care initiatives and things like that, particularly for this year, because of the fact that there's just such an abnormal use of the system. But there's going to be a huge influx of need when we're able to go back to these facilities to, you know, catch up on those preventative screenings and get the care that they've been delaying because they haven't wanted to go to care facilities. And so I think that's going to be really important to look as well and and really be ready to help address their social determinants of health once that comes into play. The other place that we as a company are really trying to help is with the fact that the COVID-19 testing is ramping up and helping to put the different identity verification measures in place so that you make sure that you know, who you're running the test on and that you have the updated contact information on those individuals and that we make that process as painless as possible. So there's a lot that we can do to help to support some of the initiatives that are happening, but we're also gearing up for what's going to come after. Yeah, I think those are all great points, especially the one about the preventative care for patients in in post-COVID, you know, the things that aren't being able to be delivered via telehealth. And I think you make a really good point there. You know, there is so much to know in healthcare, within the organization, across policy, the legal side of things. Erin, how the heck do you keep up with all this? What are you reading? Where do you go for information? Or maybe what are your favorite reads that influence your work? Yeah, it is certainly a challenge. I'm on a number of newsletters, but some of my favorite places have been certainly, obviously right now the conferences are canceled or they're moving virtual, but I've always learned a lot from hymns and AHIP sessions and and things like that, where I can hear the people on the front lines who are helping talk about their experiences. One of the other partnerships that we have had is working with the eHealth Initiative, which is a nonprofit that has really done a great job of bringing together individuals across the industry to have the conversations that are needed. I know we worked with them last year along with probably 40 other organizations in the healthcare industry to come up with ethical principles for how social determinants of health data should be used because we do want to make sure it's used for good and that it's helping the communities. And so being able to come together and have those conversations is a key way. Of course, I follow the laws and you know get the updates on, on that as well from those organizations. But those are some of the key ways I find really having the conversations both with our customers, but also with industry leaders and other industry partners has been a really great way that I can understand what's coming and what some of the key concerns are that the industry's facing. Wonderful. Well, if somebody wanted to work with you or work with LexisNexis or get them involved in their organization, how would they do that? Yeah, so they can reach out to us through LinkedIn and Twitter. We're also on the, our website is risk.lexisnexis.com forward slash healthcare if they want more information. I'm also available on LinkedIn if they want to reach out to me directly and on Twitter as well. So uh, either reach out to me or reach out through our company and we would get them connected and help them to figure out what we can do to solve some of their problems. Awesome. Well, we will include that information in the show notes and on the website and make sure that it's available. Thank you very much for taking the time today with us, Erin. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Awesome. Thank you, Erin. 
And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybirdinc.com.